Okay, what's going on? It's Natalie. I'm doing another episode of Person of Interest podcast with Jeff Thomas, although I'm Natalie. And I'm really excited about this today. I'm in the studio with Ryan Berg. Hey, Natalie. And you are with Aruna. Aruna Project. Yes, with we are. With the Aruna Project. Okay, so we kind of scrapped this together last minute because I learned about your story yesterday and said, we have to interview you. We have to get you on here. Sure. So, Ryan, you're not from Cincinnati. Not originally, no. We're transplants. Okay. And Where are you and your family from? Uh, we moved here from Illinois, okay. and we we have grown to love the city. We've been here now for over a decade. And so, yeah. So we, we consider ourselves Cincinnatian. Well, great. Welcome. You seem like one of us, so I'm glad <laughs> it's all working out. Okay. So what brought you to Cincinnati? Uh, work. Basically, we came here, uh, and we were working for uh, an organization that said, hey, we want you to, to engage the university students here. And, mm-hmm. and so we moved here. We didn't know anybody in the city, didn't know anything about the city, okay. um, but but quickly have grown to love it and understand kind of the you know, the nuances of yeah. the the cool growth in the culture. I mean, the over the Rhine area and kind of seeing what's taking place there. Yeah. It's so let's think you've cool. been here for 10 years. I've yeah. been gone. For, I'm from Cincinnati, but I've been gone a, the majority of the past 10 years. Okay. And I moved back two years ago to a, a whole new place. Uh-huh. So it's fun to learn the grounds again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so what do you do? Wow, that's a that's a, a very full question. Uh, so Aruna, I'll tell you really quickly about Aruna. Our our whole mission is we're we're an athleisure lifestyle brand, mm-hmm. and we create lifelong freedom for women that that are freed from sex trafficking, and we do oh, wow. that through employment that's marked by holistic care. So my wife and I we we founded it together. We work together. We love working together. Yeah. Uh, but it's got some some multiple layers of complexity. Essentially, what we sought to do is take the best of nonprofit mm-hmm. and the best of for-profit and merge it together to try and free and empower and employ as many of the women as we possibly can. This is pretty cool. So you sell athletic clothes, clothing? Right now, we're just in accessories. And okay. so we've got, we've got totes, backpacks, headbands, a number of different things like mm-hmm. that that are that are what our design team refers to as functional luxury. And so when, oh, we, okay. when we talk about like the, uh, the athleisure market, like the Lululemons, the Athletas, mm-hmm. uh, we, would, we would without question say the quality and the function of what we produce is absolutely on par with them. Gotcha. Uh, but the cool, the really cool dynamic is inside of all of our products mm-hmm. are the names of all of the artisans that are now freed that have actually produced those products. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you're selling like the Cadillac of headbands in order to help people free from sex trafficking. Absolutely. Which is a pretty huge, it's a huge problem in the world globally that we don't talk about mm-hmm. in America. It, it hits home here in Cincinnati. For sure. And you guys, do you work one-on-one with women that you're saving and... What is absolutely? I mean, the scale. So, just to put it in perspective, because because oftentimes when people talk about slavery, they think it's something that's you know relegated to the history books. It's something mm-hmm. that's been overcome, um, but it affects literally every world or every country in the world. Yeah, uh, to a greater or lesser degree. And so, does it happen in the U.S.? Absolutely. Does it does it happen in other countries? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, the reason why India became a focus is the the scale 
of slavery there is extraordinary. Really? I mean, we're the, so the, the U.S. State Department puts out a report every year called the Trafficking in Persons Report. Mm-hmm. Um, just last week, we, we were meeting with uh, John Richmond, who is the ambassador at large for human trafficking for the U.S. State Department. And within that report, they estimate that, that out of all forms of, of trafficking, just specifically sex trafficking, that millions of women and children are trafficked for sex in India every year. Oh, my gosh. So within India borders or do they go out of the country? Are they like taken? Can you kind of get more detailed about sure, it? Sure, sure. So, um, so globally... That some people define the statistic of statistic of human trafficking. You know, many people use the UN's definition of of being trafficked by force, fraud, or coercion, mm-hmm. and so that would include uh, things like child marriage. That would include like bonded labor, um, you know, domestic. Uh, uh, labor trafficking, sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a number of other other sort of layers to it as well. But within India, one of the most significant problems is labor trafficking. We're very focused in on the sex trafficking within India because of the millions. When you start to scale that down even more, uh, the particular area in which we're working, just within a two-square-mile area, there's an estimated about 15,000 sex workers. Oh, my God. In a two-mile... Two-square-mile area. Two-square-mile area. And so there are so many systemic issues that lead to it from from significant poverty, Mm -hmm. I mean, exceptional poverty, uh, as well as gender inequality, uh, lack of educational opportunity, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, corruption in different, different layers of authority and power structures. And so there's, there are a number of systemic issues that cause, uh, human trafficking to thrive in certain areas. And it just so happens that the particular area where we're working, a lot of those factors kind of converge to make it just an ideal setting and scenario. So where are you working? Where is your concentrated two square miles? So right now we're very focused in, in the city of Mumbai, India. Uh, The city of Mumbai is, is about generally speaking about three times the size of Chicago in terms of population in about a third of the space. Okay. And so it's exceptionally dense, very densely populated. But, but to your earlier question, oftentimes women are either trafficked into the country of India from some of the bordering countries, you know, again, because of the poverty, or they will be trafficked from, from other states within India or from the local state itself. So it's, it's both, it's, it's both international as well as domestic, but the vast majority in India are, are domestic. Wow. So Mumbai, when you think about Mumbai, um, in my knowledge, it's it seems great, grandiose, and like everyone is sure, rich yeah. and it's luxury. And someplace I'll probably never visit because I don't have I'm not rich enough to go there. But there's this huge problem underneath it. Absolutely, and there there are many wonderful things, and I and I'll be the first to say so many really cool and wonderful things about the Indian mm-hmm. culture. Really cool stuff going on in Mumbai. I mean, there's some yeah. there's some awesome places to visit. Some great things that are happening. I mean, economically, they're in some in a in for a period of time. We're in some significant growth, and that was benefiting lots of people. But just like every other country and every other city, there yeah. is there is a sort of a shadow side to things that are taking place that are that that's hidden and unseen. So, is it men and women? 
Yeah, there are, uh, within some of the areas, in one particular area, there's multiple different lanes or, or avenues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the majority of them are, are female, but there are certain pockets where you will find men that are being trafficked as well. And how old are the victims of sex trafficking in Mumbai? Uh, it can vary, but oftentimes the, you know, just to put it bluntly, mm-hmm. the, the, those who are what are considered fresh mm-hmm. and at the age of, you know, 13 or 14 Ugh. are the, are the most sought after they'll, they'll receive the highest price. And so, man, you know, this is a conversation that needs to be had more and me hearing this all, it's difficult. All of a sudden I feel like. I don't want to know that this is actually happening. It like hurts to hear. Mm-hmm. And also now I feel bad that I haven't done anything to combat it. Or I just want to give these people a hug. And mm-hmm. I mean, what can we do? Yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a great question because part of the, part of the real challenge is knowing that, you know, the vast majority of people, if they knew it was happening in the house right beside them would do something to stop it. Yeah. And because it is unseen, because people are unaware, then in in many ways, nothing does happen. But the more we start to raise awareness, the more it really does rub up against some of, you know, kind of what we thought was true of life and it becomes mm-hmm. hard to deal with. So for a lot of people, it's a, it's such an uncomfortable topic that, that you almost kind of want to self-protect. You almost yeah. want to distance yourself from it. Yeah. Because there is a reality when you when you step in to try and help. It is, I mean, there is pain. I mean, it there is oh, suffering. Oh gosh, and you don't want your kids to see it right. or be exposed right. to it, but yet it's happening. And how? What is the typical life of someone who's sold into sex trafficking at the fresh age of twelve? Well, it's uh, it, it varies in different settings. So if you talked uh, about the process, let's say here in the states. Mm-hmm. It, particularly here like in Cincinnati, it, it would look very different. There's going to be some parallels, but mm-hmm. it would look very different than some of the process in India. The particular area where we work, it's in many ways, it's, it's very organized in terms of crime. Mm-hmm. And so there will be someone called the Dalal who will basically go out to a countryside and basically deceive, you know, a father who's in significant poverty, you know, says something of, of the nature yeah. of, hey, we're looking for young women that we can employ in the city that Dalal will then take that girl. Sometimes the father knows what's happening. Oftentimes he doesn't, uh, but he'll take that that girl and the Dalal will then sell her to someone called the Malik. The Malik's job is basically to form her into a do-as-you're-told sex slave, and his his methods are are brutal. Uh, and then ultimately, if, if once she's to the point where the Malik you know, considers her no longer a flight risk, Mm -hmm. he will then hand her over to someone called the Garwali. And the Garwali is the one who kind of oversees some of the hallways within this particular brothel. Um, And once she has worked those hallways long enough and, and, you know, they assume, okay, she's not going anywhere, they'll then release her over to the street level pimp to where she's now on the street. And oftentimes from a Western perspective, you'd see the women on the street go, okay, why don't they run? Now's their chance. No. But I'm telling you, Natalie, at that point, by the time they hit that street, the psychological chains yeah. are so strong 
They're as strong as any steel that They're would hold probably, them. They're probably, I mean, are they proud? They they earn their way up to the street. There's got to be some sort of competition that forms within the women in there, and like, and they get excited. Uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say they're excited to hit the street, but I I would say that they're for the lack of a better term, the psychological trauma has yeah. institutionalized them mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, they're no longer kind of held under lock and key. They have a little bit more autonomy, even though they're they're not going to be able to leave that place. Uh, and so, in a sense, they've their their space in which they're allowed to live and operate has mm-hmm. been significantly extended. Uh, but they're still very much, you know, held and exploited. Oh, so do people in, do a lot of people know that this is happening in India and kind of brush it under the rug and ignore it and um, like walk by street workers and not say anything? Yeah. You've you know, been it, there. Is that, is, does that kind of happen? I, I've, I've spent an extraordinarily amount, extraordinarily high amount of time in India. I, I spend, I, I, I'm there. Yeah. Once a quarter, you know, I know mm-hmm. the the ins and the outs of how it all works, as well as our teams that are on yeah. the ground there. The what I would say is this: that within India, there is a significant shift happening for people to try and bring about change. And yet, when you look at a number of the issues that are going on within the country, this particular issue isn't as significant as, let's say, the the poverty issue yeah. or the hunger issue or or some of those sort of things. And so in many ways, they're they're focusing a lot of the efforts on some of those larger issues, mm-hmm. some of which are systemic that lead to some of the trafficking. And so it's just going to take years to get to the point where adjusting those actually helps to, to stem the tide of the trafficking. Who is paying money to hire a sex traffic, a sex worker? The particular area where we work is uh, it's it's very poverty driven, mm-hmm. and so it's typically a day wage laborer. So it's going to be somebody who's driving the taxi cabs. It's going to be somebody who is you know delivering some of the things to some of the local businesses. Uh, sometimes there are university students that are coming into the area. Occasionally there will be kind of you know middle management businessmen that are coming in. For the most part, where we work, it is predominantly Indian men. It's not international sex tourism that's that's coming in. That does happen in the city without question. Mm -hmm. The particular area where we're working, that's that's not the case. And what is it like when you walk through the brothels? Uh, It is heart-wrenching. The first time that we actually went to India, I was going there for work. Totally, you know, didn't even have this on my radar. Mm -hmm. About three weeks before going on that particular trip, I saw on CNN a a reference to 12 children being rescued from a brothel. Mm -hmm. And it floored me. I had no idea. And it it was before movies like Taken had come out, you know, so I I had no idea. Uh, And I told my wife, I said, oh, my goodness. I said, this is happening in the very place where I'm where I'm going. I said, I'm going to try and find it. We're going to see if we can do anything about it. Oh, my gosh, you're so brave. And. Part of it was just, it was, it it was so, for me, it was incongruent that I would be able to see it on the news and somehow we wouldn't be involved in bringing about change. And were you working with Aruna? No, Aruna didn't even exist. Okay, because you guys started it. So what were you doing So we worked with, yeah, we worked with this missions organization that would go in and try and actually help benefit cultures and societies Mm -hmm. and things like that. And, uh, and we were going to go to India, and the whole idea was to develop out this sort of educational program with university students and mm-hmm. some really cool stuff, some pretty exciting stuff. 
Uh, but when I saw this, the, the idea of this is just, this is just happening. It's being reported on the news and, you know, we've got the opportunity to do something. And so when I got there, I found this particular brothel. And as I stepped in, I mean, the smell of stale urine was so pungent Ugh. and, and, and it was pitch black, but it was the middle of the afternoon as my eyes were just into the darkness. I noticed movement all around and just massive rats. And, and I made it to the staircase and the, the stairs, you know, kind of going up. I mean, they're worn smooth from the amount of traffic in and out. And as I get about midway up, I can start to hear the sound of abuse. And I get to the top of the stairs and opens into this long corridor. And there's literally just woman after woman lined up with nothing more than these little closet-sized rooms with a mattress and a pole curtain. And I was so naive. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I, you know, I was trying to mumble something about hope for a brighter future. And, and, and if I could be honest, you know, hope had been raped out of them years before. And it, and, and I stepped out onto the street and I just wept. I had never seen anything like it. And there was a social worker that I ended up getting connected to that basically said, you know, you know, the pimps here basically boast and say, you do good or show up a day late and leave a day early. They're literally banking on the fact that no one's going to do anything. Yeah. And, and she told me, she said, Ryan, if, if there's any hope for freedom for these women, it's got to come from the outside. And it was just one of those sort of unique moments in time where I thought, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to get after this. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and I went back over and we embedded in the area for a number of months, did a, a lot of research to simply understand what are the systemic issues? What organizations are involved? What are the, you know, mission, vision, values, methods, constraints, anything we could to try and understand, to see where are the gaps and to see, is there anything we have to offer? Because we didn't assume we had any answers, but we wanted to see, is there something that we could do? And without question, early on in, the, in that sort of research process, sustainable employment was, was an absolute key to creating okay. lifelong freedom. How do you guys make a difference now? What What is your first step to getting sustainable income for these women? So what we do now, and I'll kind of explain out the model, is we have the nonprofit side and then the for-profit side. Mm-hmm. And the nonprofit side is where here in the U.S. we have these Aruna runs all across the U.S. And in an Aruna run, uh, each participant runs for a woman by name that we know who's still enslaved in that red light area. So you're running for her <sighs> To, to raise funds, to raise awareness. Okay, so can I stop you here? How yeah. do you meet these women safely? Do they get in trouble if their pimp knows that they're talking to you? Or they're the, the do they have madams in the brothel? How mm-hmm. yeah, we have to be we have to be pretty strategic mm-hmm. about what we do. Um, we the the way we're able to engage a lot of the women on the street level and kind of on that hallway level is is we have a team there and it's all indigenously led team and they're going into the brothels on a on almost a daily basis and one of the most significant things that we have to do is actually right on that front end is we have to be able to establish a relationship of trust what what does not work is if a woman has been in there for let's say seven years and, you know, you did the Liam Neeson sort of taking strategy and you go in and pop a pimp, throw a girl over your shoulder and run out. There hasn't been any trust developed. There hasn't been any sort of the, the, the emotional trauma that she's gone through. That hasn't been, you know, even addressed. And so any trauma counselor will tell you the, the path of default will be always, it will always be toward a known evil versus an unknown good. 
And so what we seek to do is try and actually remove the unknown related to the good that we're seeking to do. Mm -hmm. So we daily show up in that brothel. We daily talk through the possibility of a full-time job. And we've got a that training center in the middle of that that red light area is where we have trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. We we offer them more, uh, you know a hot meal every single day, mm-hmm. financially incentivized skill and trade development, so we can actually start to to help them to learn skills, employable mm-hmm. skills. That we have a whole training process as they complete certain modules. Mm-hmm. It's financially incentivized, so as they they reach the objective standard, they pass it, they get a financial stipend. And all of what we're trying to do is basically say, we're putting our money where our mouth is. We have this business. It's, it's a business that is designed for you to create lifelong freedom for you where you'll earn a living wage and retirement and health care and ongoing counseling all in a community of other women who have overcome. When you're on foot there in the streets, are you ever scared? So our we've got very brave teams mm-hmm. on the ground uh, that have worked in the area you know, since we started. And some of them had even had previous experience in the area trying to help as much as they could. You know, I think, I think fear is a, is something that every person experiences and deals with for, you know, in, in various settings and circumstances. So the same is true for our teams, but they continue in spite of the fear in light of wanting to help, help the women. But we also try to be very strategic about how we do what we do. And so, uh, part of the sad reality is a number of the the pimps would basically look at it and say, we aren't making enough of an impact yet to even affect them financially because the, oh, the okay. supply side and the demand of it is so readily available. But I think we will certainly get to that point one day where yeah. it's, it is really affecting, remember, you know, 15,000 in two square mile area. And so we have been successful, certainly. Uh, but not to the scale where it's really starting to affect some of their economics. And so in that regard, you know, oftentimes what will happen is, uh, is it's very anticlimactic, the point at which a woman is ready to, you know, she's ready to fight again and say, okay, mm-hmm. help me get out of here. I'm ready to fight again. I believe I've got a future out of the, outside of this place. It can be as anticlimactic as, okay, tomorrow morning when everyone in this brothel is asleep, we're going to have a taxi out front and... We're going to get you in and you're gone and we're never looking back. And so oftentimes the pimp won't necessarily know that that's a result of okay. being connected to our work. Okay. They just, they, they can't figure out where the woman went Yeah. and, and they won't necessarily connect it back to, to what we're doing. So who do you remember the youngest person you saved? Uh, there was a young woman just a few weeks ago who, and I, and I should qualify this, we focus in on, on those who are over the age of 18 because of the employment piece. Okay. Uh, we have another organization that we walk alongside with that does a little more of the, the sort of undercover operations mm-hmm. to go after those who are under the age of 18. And there's some different legal ramifications and, and regulations you have to follow in light of some of that work. So we walk alongside them. Um, there was a young woman just a few weeks ago that we were able to get out. She's, she thinks she's 18. She's not exactly sure when her birthday is. A number of the women aren't exactly sure when their oh, birthdays are. Gosh. And so, um, so heartbreaking. Yeah. So she was, we were able to get her out, um, just a few weeks ago. And so far she's doing well. What is their memory like? Do they, is it hard for them to talk to you about individual occurrences? To, are, are they kind of so desensitized to, what they've been doing for years or been put through? 
Absolutely. I mean, trauma affects every person differently. Mm -hmm. And so our, you know, the counselors that we have on site, I, I am never asking some of the women specific questions about their past. That's, that's not my role. I wouldn't do that. Uh, our counselors do a very good job of helping them to kind of move through kind of a healing process. And we have a, we have a number of things in place that we seek to do, uh, in that regard, um, to ensure that we aren't, you know, triggering them back to, to re-experiencing some of that trauma. Do any of them go back and stay in, like they, they get exposed to you and then they go back to work in the streets or back into the brothel? Yeah. So we've got, so the way our system works is our training center kind of in that red light area and our freedom business is actually about two hours away and we have transitional housing and we have a number of other services for the mm-hmm. women. But inevitably we, we're not operating at a hundred percent and, Part of the part of the real challenge is what we've seen with some who enter into the program. You know, they're out of that uh, particular area and they start working with us. Is that sometimes there will be a the husband or what can be referred to as a, kind of a so-called husband who just happens to be a customer, a very regular customer, um, will will actually force them back in. Uh, to that particular area, and so it's a it's a real challenge when there's that that deeply rooted relationship, even though it's extraordinarily unhealthy. Yeah, it's for some of the women, it's you know it's very difficult for them to actually sever that relationship, mm-hmm. um, and they can get pulled back in. So let's talk about some of your success. So you guys do Aruna runs. You and your wife started mm-hmm. Aruna here out of Cincinnati. Yes. How many runs? How long ago? Sure. Uh, we started the, the organization was actually official in January of 2014, but we okay. had started some of the runs, you know, a couple years before that. Mm-hmm. And it was part of the strategy to, to try and see, okay, can we get, can we get enough people involved? Can we, can we grow out this thing? Can it become a movement? And through the runs, can we raise enough seed capital to then launch the business and to actually create what we were, what we were trying to design between this nonprofit for-profit sort of mashup. So how many runs do you guys, so 2014, how many runs have you guys done since then? And where are you around uh, America? So we've got annually, we typically have somewhere between 15 to 20 runs each year. Great. And there, yeah, there, there, I mean, thousands of people involved across mm-hmm. the U.S. Um, you know, some runs will, you know, be a thousand, others will be a hundred. Mm-hmm. And, and the cool thing about it is they're, they're all volunteer driven. And so we have a whole application process that we go through. We've got a great team on the ground here that helps to, uh, essentially we've got all sorts of resources as well. And so once somebody goes through the application process and okay, they're a green light, they're a go, then we provide all sorts of resources and we provide ongoing coaching. We provide sort of the back end setup. We, we provide so much to make sure that the runs are a success, but they are volunteer driven. Yeah. And so we've, Every year between that, you know, 15 to 20 runs, um, we see some awesome things happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like what? So, so it's really fun. The, uh, the, the connect point between running for a woman by name mm-hmm. uh, and then actually being able to say, you know, six months later to somebody who ran, let's say for uh, Taslima is to be able to say, hey, we just want to let you know you ran for Taslima. Taslima is now free. 
She is free. She's uh-huh. doing exceptionally well in the business. And, and then being able to say, you know, over a period of time, actually, here's where she is now. She's actually got her own apartment. She's doing exceptionally Aww, well. Her, that's so cool. You know, her children are now, you know, back with her, you know, because a, a lot of them wind up having a child in the brothels. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those children will sleep under the beds where their moms are abused. And so to be oh, able to get them God. out of the brothel, it, it also helps to affect the next generation. So yeah. those kids are now in great schools and getting a good education and a place of safety, no longer at risk for being trafficked. So there's there's so many different stories like that. I'm, yeah. kind of, I'm speechless here. How many women or people have you guys um, helped th- over the years? So we we started very slow. the The idea was we need to make sure that this is sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so our on especially on the business side. And so for us, we consider lifelong freedom as kind of our key metric. Um, and it's kind of back to that idea that if if you know, you're able to free a certain amount of women, but how many of them are going to be able to remain free? That was your, you know, mm-hmm. kind of that question you were asking earlier. We had some Im- information um, when we started doing some of the research that was showing that sometimes as high as eight out of 10 would end up back in the brothels who had been set free. And so we thought it's we, all they know, right? Yeah. And because of some of those relationships and things yeah. that were pulling them back. Oh, man. And, and one of the key factors was they're there also was not a viable economic opportunity for them to be provided for. Okay. That was the key component for the business. So for us, the, the whole business side is we want to make sure we're producing the, the best possible product that we can. Like I said before, it's going to compete in the open market. It's going to be great stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we knew we needed to start that process. Foundationally, we had to make sure that quality was woven into everything that we're doing, both for the women as well as the product that the women are making. So the women make the products that you sell? Absolutely. I did not get all of that until yes, right now. Yes, yes. Dear, oh my goodness. That is so cool. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get that at all. Oh my gosh. Okay, tell me more about that. This is so cool. <laughs> so yeah, so there and here's what's really, really fun. When I made reference to their names being on yeah. the inside of the liner. We used to do so. We have a whole protocol on what they'll allow us to share. It's their story. Uh-huh. We don't we don't tell their story unless they give us permission. So we used to use pseudonyms, mm-hmm. and they they basically said, "No, we're we're really proud of what we're producing. We want our names on that stuff." So oh, we're like, great. "Absolutely." So they're they're producing all of the products from the backpacks to the totes to the crossbody. I mean, they're producing it all. And, wow. and so what we do is that business, all the money that gets generated through the sales revenue gets pushed right back into the business so we can hire many, many more women. So it's backwards business structure. You know how you, okay. you're basically trying to reduce typical business. You're trying to reduce your overhead. So you try and get as few employees as you can yeah. to get as much out of them as you can to get as high enough profit. So what we do is we basically say we're trying to employ as many of these women as we can. So all okay. the profits. So even though I serve as the CEO, I don't take a penny from the business. We okay. push it all back in to try and employ as many more women as we can. And so we're uh, we're going to be coming up this year to to the point of having employed about seventy five women. Great. We will. Uh, we're we're in a really good position to really start turning it up to where we start actually. Uh, increasing those numbers pretty significantly. So our mm-hmm. three-year plan is to get, by the end of 2022, 
is that we would be employing about 200 women out of that area. And what gets really fun, Natalie, is, mm-hmm. is the impact then is not just for them, but it's also children or siblings that are close to them mm-hmm. that were at risk for being trafficked. Usually we could, there's a, about a 3x factor there. So if there's 200 women employed, there's usually about 600 more that are cared for in some way or provided for in some way that, that hinders them from being at risk for being trafficked. Wow. Wow. So do you, so do you provide housing and yeah, all so of our, this stuff? You have an in, entire totally. compound? Yeah. Well, our, no, we don't have a compound. But, okay. uh, That's the wrong word to you. <laughs> no, no, no. We just don't. Um, part of the key component to what we're trying to do is move them toward independence. Okay. And so once a woman is, is freed and she steps into the business, we actually have transitional housing. And she's usually in that transitional housing somewhere around maybe 12 to 18 months and then transitions out to essentially independent living where she has her own apartment, where she's living independently, where she's, you know, going to the to the local market and buying her vegetables and making yeah. dinner and 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 literally back to the stage now where she's she's living a, living a normal life. Yeah. What is employment like for women in Mumbai in general? Definitely depends on where they are socioeconomically. Mm-hmm. Um, women that are typically trafficked typically aren't working. Okay. They typically will not have a job. And that that's part of the challenge. That's part of why they find themselves. So what I'm asking is there um, the, the Indian culture that I'm familiar with, mm-hmm. um, is that a lot of women don't work just by cultural norms anyway? So you're providing an opportunity for them to grow mm-hmm. and to really get back on their feet. Do any of them stem out of your business and go on to get another job and live normal lives and raise their kids and their kids get jobs, et cetera? Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's part we consider that success. Hey, cool. Absolutely. When they Man, when they, this is so awesome. I could listen to you all day. <laughs> well, it's it's one of the things that's really cool is when we actually see women that that do step beyond employment with us mm-hmm. into some other things. Our hope is that that continues to grow. If we can, we know that there's going to be some women that land with us Mm -hmm. and live out their days with us. We know that. But we also hope that there's a significant amount of women that we're just simply a stepping stone to to kind of the next bigger step that they take in their lives. And, And as long as they are in a place where it's lifelong freedom, where they're not at risk for being trafficked and where they're earning a good wage and where they're being, you know, respected and they're you know, there's a sense of dignity. We're thrilled about that. And we maintain those relationships. So it's not, we don't mm-hmm. just say, hey, yeah, go get them. Great job. We, we try and make sure yeah. that there's some really, really yeah. good follow-up. Well, this is really, really cool. Incredibly interesting. Thank you so much for se- for shedding light on such a dark topic that isn't talked about enough, that really is affecting thousands and millions of people worldwide. Absolutely. And thanks. Thanks for uh, having us on. I know, I mean, you know, for you yeah, to be willing course. to talk about this topic oh my gosh, is, uh, is a great step. So the Aruna Project, when is your next run? So coming up here, September 2nd, Labor Day, right down at the Freedom Center. Uh, we've got a five mile run, a 5K run, a one mile run, and then an elite one mile run. Oh, okay. <laughs> you have to qualify for that one. And okay. I would not be able to qualify at all. Those people are fast. <laughs> um, but it's fun. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's a very hopeful atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You know, even though we're running for such a heavy cause and a, and a challenging topic, 
it is a really hopeful atmosphere. And 100% of the registration fee mm-hmm. and additional donations all go toward the cause of freeing and empowering employing because we have a number of great corporate sponsors who offset the cost of the entire event. Okay, great. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's awesome. All right. Freeing, empowering, and employing. Absolutely. The project. You Thank got you it. so much, Ryan Berg, for joining us. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Natalie. Thank all right, uh, Ryan, was there a place where people can donate online as it is, or how can people donate if they're not going to run? For sure. If, uh, if, if people want to donate, they can go directly to arunaproject.com, mm-hmm. and right down in the footer, there's a little button that says donate. All right. Um, and they can also, I mean, that, you know, they'll see the product there. You know, people want to purchase product, they can, they can see yeah. the product there as well. It's where they can go to register for runs. It's the website's the place to be. Okay, and where is the Aruna product, uh, the Aruna Project products? Where are y'all sold? Right now, all just strictly online. Okay, gotcha. Yep. And do you have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter we can follow as well? Absolutely, all okay. three. And it's the Aruna Project. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Yep. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank oh, you. Oh my gosh, this is so cool.